0: i invite the congregation to be seated as I have the opportunity to introduce our guest preacher this morning, Archbishop Lauren Mbanda, is the Archbishop of Rwanda. Uh, he is the private and Archbishop of Rwanda. He is a friend and partner in the gospel now with Christ Church through our work that we're beginning there, and he is a brother in Christ. I've stayed in his home, and his lovely wife, Chantal, and him have such a spirit of hospitality I can't wait to show all of you, in time, the hospitality of Rwanda. Archbishop Mbanda was for 18 years the Vice President of Compassion International for Africa. In 2010 he was elected as the Bishop of Shira Diocese in Rwanda, and in 2018 was elected as Archbishop and Primate of Rwanda, representing more than 1.2 million Anglicans on a Sunday morning. He is the vice chairman of the GAFCON movement and has written on the genocide and his own autobiography, Barefoot to Bishop, which is available in our bookstore and I'll tell you is worth the read. He's been married to Chantal for 35 years. They have three children. They have 28 adopted children, and they are at present pray with him and their daughter, Erica, and son-in-law, Junior, they're waiting for their first grandbaby to be born any second now. Let's welcome Archbishop Ambanda. Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you you very much for that warm welcome. Now, before I go too far, I wanted to say two things. One, I wanted to thank you for sending your... uh, Chris, the rector, and also John and Jeff to visit us and to be with us in Rwanda. We had the great joy of hosting them. It was a wonderful fellowship, and I wanted to thank you. Second, I wanted to thank you for this last Monday. Last Monday was a test of heaven in this church. The worship was amazing. I also wanted to thank you for your contribution and for your service to the conference. I saw so many people with t-shirts that showed this church, and these people went out of their way to serve and to love on people and to encourage them. It was amazing. So help me and join me to give a hand of a clap to all that (laughs) served that last Sunday. Thank you very much. Thank you for your service. Thank you for what God enabled you to do. The worship team, it was amazing. Come to Rwanda, and we would uh, love to, to have you there someday. It is a joy to be here this morning. I bring you greetings from my wife, Shantar, and daughter, Erica, here in Colorado Springs, Colorado. That's where Erica was born. That's where she wanted her baby to be born. And we thank God for that. We are waiting any minute. And I'm realizing how impatient I am. <laughs> One, because I want I'll be returning to Africa, and I want to make sure that the baby is here before I return. Second, it's just that I want to hold that grand baby in my hands. People tell me that it transforms your life, and I'm looking forward to my life being transformed. So those who have been there, um, pray for me. I don't know how I behave, but God will help me. This morning I wanted to share from the book of Nehemiah, and um, when God puts a concern on your heart, when God puts a burden on your heart, follow your heart. Nehemiah was a great man of God, a man with a lot of qualities. A man with experience, a cupbearer, a cupbearer who was also a visionary, who was trustworthy, who was a man of prayer. He prayed for four months while waiting for God's response. He was hardworking, and many people would perceive him as a good project manager because he managed the rebuilding of the walls for about 52 days and completed that. He was an honest man, a man because of his honesty, because of his service to the king, I'm almost sure that once in a while the king would also ask him and seek some advice from him. He was a servant. He was a servant. He was willing to give it all. And he could be trusted because the king, they say, though he was a cupbearer, he was there to protect the king so that there is nothing wrong that will go into his food or into his wine. And so he was a very trusted person. He was a person who was moved by a burden, a burden that came because he sought to understand the situation of his people the situation of his country, and as people shared with him what was going on, remember he was, he was a refugee also, as people were sharing about the status of his people, Nehemiah listened carefully, and as he listened carefully to the situation of the people, to the situation of the city, first he sat down and wept. He cried for his people. He cried for his country. He cried for his city. And as he cried, he also fasted for a long time and he prayed to the Lord. In his prayer to the Lord, he was confessing his sins. He was confessing the sins of his, his relatives, of his family, of, of the whole tribe of, of, of Jews. He was pleading with God to listen to him and to listen to his plea, to his cry and he was just seeking, Lord, what can be done. I love Nehemiah. He reminds a lot of the journey that I've taken. I remember when I was seated in Colorado Springs for about 18 years, and knowing what was happening in Rwanda, in a country that lost a million people in 100 days. I also remember when I went to Rwanda as a reef manager and trying to rescue and to save people trying to attend to the needs of children who were running behind the fighting lines. And then, after a while, I would come to what they called R&R, rest and relaxation. And I would come back to Colorado Springs where I was living at that time. I lived in the state for about 22 years. And as I came back to Colorado Springs, my heart would be longing, and I would be thinking about the situation I left. I would be thinking about the people who are laboring to reconstruct that country of Rwanda, a country that has risen from the ashes of the genocide, a country today that is probably a mother country in East Africa or in Africa as a whole, a country today that is the most secure country of Africa, a country today that is the best country of doing business in, a country where the church is thriving, a country where people have reconciled and are continuing to reconcile and are living together, and forgiveness is a key. One widow was asked, and she was asked, Why do you forgive? Why did you reconcile with these people that have killed your husband? And she said, Everything was taken away from me. Everything was destroyed. The only thing I left I, I, is left with me that I have control over, that I can give, is only forgiveness. I don't know, you can imagine what that is. It's very, very powerful. I'm also reminded in this book of Nehemiah, how God challenged him and showed him the situation of his country. I felt the same when I was seated in the Springs. And one time, for the first time, I took my family to Rwanda, you will read in the book, with my wife and three children. We went to Rwanda, and while there, we were so impressed with what was going on in the country. We were so impressed with the changes that were going on. And we sat down one evening and we prayed and we said, Lord, what do you want us to do? Because we were heavily burdened by the desire of wanting to be part of the reconstruction of our country in Rwanda. And I remember that evening in a hotel in Kigari that I sent an email to my boss, the president of Compassion, and I said, when I come back, I want to talk to you as my brother in the Lord, but I also want to talk to you as my boss. And he sent a message to me, and he said, I don't like where this is going. (laughs) And as I got back to Colorado Springs, I sought time with him, and he would not give me the time. And there used to be what we call the chapel for the executives. And in the chapel for the executives, I wrote a nice resignation letter. And I really put in all my heart, and I read it in the chapel rather than giving a sermon. And everybody was in tears. And everybody was saying, why are you going back in that country where it is not safe? Why are you uprooting your children and taking them to the country that is not stable? Your children born in America, in high school in America, the other one in elementary school. Where will they go to school? But deep down, seated in my heart, was this concern, was this desire, to be part of the reconstruction of the country of Rwanda that was in 2004. And I can understand Nehemiah when he sat down and wept. I can understand him when he was said before the king. I can understand him when he confessed the sins of his people. I can understand him. When he looked sad, and the king looked at him in the presence of the king, and the king looked at him, and he said, I've never seen you as sad as you are. And Nehemiah said, why can't I be sad? I'm sad because of my country. I'm sad because of the wars of Jerusalem. And he was confronted by his show of the face that was sad. Nehemiah was honest. He was open. He told the king what was troubling him. He told the king what his challenge was. And at that moment, and the king looked at him, and and, and he said to Nehemiah, so what do you want me to do? I don't know if you have been in that situation when someone looks in the face and they say, what can I do for you? Not the American, what can I do for you? Do you know the American, what can I do for you? If you are are a foreigner coming into this country, as a student as I was, and you go to them and someone say, what can I do for you? Sometimes it doesn't mean much. It's another way of saying, how are you doing? And some of the internationals will actually come and say, yeah, you want to do something for me? Here is the shopping list. (laughs) It doesn't mean that way sometimes. But Nehemiah listened to the king. And he listened carefully. And maybe he took that little time of praying, you know, those short prayers of help me, Lord? Have you ever done those kind of prayers? Help me, Lord, give me the right words. What can I say at this moment? This is my moment. I'm in front of the king. He's asking me what I can do. <laughs> and then Nehemiah, after that short prayer, He didn't want to miss the opportunity. He didn't want to miss that curious moment in verse 4. And he jumped and he said, Send me. He didn't say, Will you give me permission to go? He just said, Send me. And that word, send me, is very powerful. Because to me, I understand it as if he was saying, yeah, I am here, you send me, and if you send me, you are also going to, he was not a Christian, um, the king, but probably he was saying, if you send me, you are also going to pray for me. If you send me, if it's another way of saying, we are going to be partners in this thing, send me, send me. And so the king took opportunity also. I saying, yes, how long will you be gone? And then Nehemiah had a plan. He had a vision of what needed to be done. He had a vision of what he could do for this country. When I became archbishop, there is what they call the archbishop's charge or the bishop's church, and I sat in that chair as they were laying hands on me. And after a short time, they said, so what is your speech? And I said, here, are, here is the archbishop's charge. And I gave him five. Nehemiah had only one. I'm in trouble. Nehemiah was a great man of God. He had the king behind him. He had the Lord behind him. I gave five. And one of them to equip leaders for the ministry. And the second one was evangelism and discipleship. We want to disciple our people because what happened in Rwanda, many people will tell us that there were many converts but less disciples because they all participated in this killing, in this genocide. The third one was to realize that as a refugee camp in Burundi where I grew up, the situation that we were in, where the children would only go to school, when you could reach with your hand and reach on your other side of the ear. That's how they measured how old you were. And if you could reach out over and touch your ear, then you were ready to go to school. That time is almost like you are six or seven. And I realized that we needed to provide opportunity to children that are younger because we needed to touch the cement when it is still wet, to make an impression in the lives of those children. The fourth one was financial literacy and financial management and accountability, because that's where many times we have the weakness in our churches in Africa. And the fifth one was developing sustainability. How can we win ourselves? From extending a hand out? How can we develop leaders that will succeed us? Because it is both financial and human development that you need to think about. But here he says, Jeremiah, he says, send me. And Jeremiah goes and he does his investigation. But Jeremiah, there are three statements that I want to highlight. One, was that when he went, he tried to challenge and motivate the people that he found there, the leaders that he found there, to be part of what he was doing. But first, he owned the problem. The issue, the concern, he owned it. Because he said, come, let us build. And the people, after listening to him, after giving him testimony, they responded to him positively. It was a sounding hallelujah and amen. And they jumped up and they, asked, they said, let us rise and build. Sometime I wish I had the people back home who would say, yeah, let us go together. But it is not always the case, and I'm sure it is not always the case, even in a church like this. It is very easy to look on the shoulder and say, hmm, maybe someone so-and-so can do it. Hmm, so-and-so is the one who means, hmm, so-and-so is the one with more spiritual, sometimes we look on the side rather than looking inward and saying, what is God saying to me? What is my contribution? What can I do here? But when he challenged them with this statement of let us come, let us build, we are in shame situation. The wars are not there. The wars are for protection, and he challenged them. And they responded by saying, let us rise up and build. But before they did that, he had given them his testimony of how good God had been to him, of where he has been, and what he has seen, almost praising the Lord for what he has done. And I'm sure if someone was to ask you in this church, those who have been here longer, you have a story to tell of how you have gotten here. And if it is not even this church, even in your own life, if somebody was to give you a chance, you would almost tell them the hand of God in your life in a way of praising. It is that kind of motivation. It is kind of it, that kind of testimony and encouragement that gets us, all of us, going. So may I encourage you. That once in a while when you find opportunities and the Rector allows you to stand up here and give a testimony of what God has done in your life, it may be an opportunity for someone else to see himself and say, me too. Or if God has done it for that person, he can also do it for me. I can't tell you, you will read in the book on how I walked from Burundi all the way to Kenya. 500 miles, six months on the foot, and how I saw the God of hand through the jungles, through the Selengeti parks and other places, living in the streets of Nairobi, looking people in the face and asking for something to eat, and people feeding me. I can't tell you life in Colorado or in Chicago where we had to live on food pantries, but ignore that. God provided for school, sometimes not knowing where it would come from. It was the same as Nehemiah. I don't think Nehemiah expected the king was going to give the letters so that he can travel freely. I don't think he was expecting him to give, to, to, to give the, the security to him. I don't think he was expecting to give him the timber to help build the walls of Jerusalem and of his own house. But by God's grace... He had prayed, and God answered, and God used the unexpected. Sometimes God uses the unexpected. Some God, Sometimes God provides through means that you didn't expect. And so, after they said, let us rise and beard," they were ready to put in their hands and to do the good work. There was a strong determination to make sure that the work is finished. And when you read in chapter 6, verse 15 to 16, it says that it gives the great result of what happened. The wars were complete. God is an amazing God. And I challenge you, brothers and sisters, to seek Him with all your heart. And if he does put a concern on your heart, and if he does put a burden on your heart, go into action. And the first action that you can go into is to be on your knees and to pray, Lord, show me, make it clear to me. It is also, the second one that you can do is also to share with somebody so that they can be people who can encourage you, so that they can be people who can go with you, so that they can be people who can at least say, I'm praying, I will support, I will pray with you, go. Or there will be others who will say, let us join hands and do it. I wonder what the Lord is telling you for this church, for your community, for the world, for the ministry of preaching the gospel around the world. I think you see the state we are in today. And when you see what is happening today, around the world, when you see as the, 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 the challenges of Christianity that we go in today, when you see people moving away from the Scripture, when you see people rising culture over the Scripture, I don't know what you say. Maybe God is moving you to do something about it. And the challenge is that what is God putting on your heart? What are you ready to do? They said, let us rise up and build, and God's work will succeed. Because God was with them, and they were willing to go. They were decided. When he calls, he also gives provisions. When he calls, he also equips you and I to do. Nehemiah presented a proposal to God and to the king, and in challenge the people, and the people come alongside, and they become, they become part of it. Oh, how I pray that as this church continues to serve, to be a blessing to many as you have been to us for this last week, that you will also continue to have that burden, that desire of proclaiming Christ. That you will continue to pray for Jesus to be raised up high, that you will continue to pray that people will come into the kingdom. We have to continue to rebuild. We have to continue to preach the gospel. We have to continue to bring the Bible to the center so that more people can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let me also challenge you to continue to pray for us, as you also seek ways of ministering to us, of journeying together and doing what God has called us to do, which is to proclaim Christ and proclaim Him faithfully, which is to disciple and bring others into the kingdom, which is to spur each other to love and to do good works. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we thank You for this morning. We thank You for Your Holy Spirit. And we pray that He will actually move us to action. That whatever you have put on our hearts, whatever desire and burden, Father, that we will pray and that we will continue to pray and that we will continue to pray until we see it to the end. Let your Holy Spirit interpret the message for us. Let your Holy Spirit move us into action for our own church, for our own community and for the rest of the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.